Several other dark motor cars belonging to the Hampshire police were parked by the cottage, as was the large, dark blue Buick saloon that belonged to the police surgeon, Anthony Winston Sheed, and the van in which Blackwell's body would be transported to the hospital in Winchester. A dozen or so villagers milled in groups by the cottage, talking quietly. Lamb felt their gaze turn toward him as he emerged from his car. He knew Quimby to be a former mill town in which many of the older residents still looked upon the police as mere extensions of the mill owners, though the owners had abandoned the place more than forty years earlier. He looked for Vera among the knots of people, but did not see her. A trio of small children, ragamuffins in torn clothing, sprinted past him, nearly bowling him over, then vanished in the twilight up a footpath near the small, centuries-old stone bridge that lay at the center of the village. The bridge conveyed Quimby's High Street across Mills Run, which tumbled into the village from the top of Manscombe Hill. A bobby approached Lamb at a trot. Inspector Lamb? the man asked. He stopped and saluted. He was fit-looking and fresh-faced, not more than twenty or so. Prime cannon fodder, Lamb thought. He couldn't help it. The bobby's face was flush. Constable Harris, sir. Sergeant Wallace asked me to meet you. Harris made a gesture in the direction of Blackwell's house. This is the deceased's cottage, sir, he continued. His niece, Lydia Blackwell, is inside. They've lived here together for many years. Miss Blackwell is rather taken out, I'm afraid, as she has seen the deceased's body. She is lying down at the moment, on the order of Mr. Winston Sheed, who looked in on her on his way to examine the deceased. Sergeant Wallace has instructed several uniformed constables to stand by the house and let no one in other than yourself and other officials of the law. He's asked me to guide you to the scene of the crime. I'm afraid it's up the hill a bit. He hesitated again, then said, Unless, of course, you'd rather talk to Miss Blackwell first. Harris's brisk thoroughness impressed Lamb though he found Harris's reference to Will Blackwell as the deceased irritating. He wondered if Harris always spoke as if he were giving evidence at an inquest. No, no, he said. Lead on, please, Harris. Harris saluted again and gestured toward the path by the bridge. Right this way, sir. As Lamb turned toward the hill, he heard Vera call him. Dad! He turned to see her approaching along the high street from the western end of the village, where she kept her daily vigil in the Quimby Parish Council Hall, watching for any sign of a German invasion. She was dressed in denim overalls and soft service cap the government issued to members of the local defense volunteers. A young man dressed in dark slacks and a bone-colored sweater kept pace with Vera, His right arm was missing from the elbow down, and the right sleeve of his shirt was pinned back at the shoulder. He appeared to be no more than twenty. Lamb wondered if he had lost his arm at Dunkirk, though Dunkirk had only just happened. Vera embraced her father briefly and kissed his cheek.
They hadn't seen each other in more than a week. When Vera had spent most of a Sunday with Marjorie and Lamb at home in Winchester. Hello, Vera, he said, smiling. He missed her presence around the house. Even so, he kept his tone businesslike so as not to embarrass her. Your mother sends her love? Vera smiled back. Love to mother, she said. She was a slender girl, with a youthful face, though Lamb had long believed that she possessed what people sometimes called an old soul, a seriousness of purpose and wisdom beyond her years. She had big, bright brown eyes and smiled often.